0: Welcome back to the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast, where your host, Tristan Keelan, and his guests explore everything about data, from culture to metrics to telling quality improvement stories for the human side of analytics. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast. I'm excited today to have back in the studio Krista fascio Biback, the Director of Quality Improvement and Training at CCNY. Krista, nice to have you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, important topic today, Um, it's uh, often discussed, and we're gonna dive into it today, is the difference between two terms we hear a lot, quality improvement and quality assurance. In health and human services, uh, a lot of times it's the same role, it's the same department. And today we're going to um, talk to Krista about really driving a wedge in between those two so we can understand the differences, but also the similarities and how health and human service organizations can navigate to difference to make sure you're doing both. So Krista, I'd like uh, if you could kick us off with a little bit of education, um, sort of how do we define QI, quality improvement? How do we define QA? And then we can talk about what are the distinct similarities and differences between the two. Sure,
1: sure. So um, there are distinctions between both. Um, However, I would also say that both play on one another. So if you think of a continuum, there's QA and QI. Um, I do believe that you need QA as a foundation to implement quality improvement. Um, But when you're thinking about distinguishing between both areas, I would say quality assurance or QA tends to be a more um, reactive, um, sometimes punitive approach to an audit, to a formal regulatory body. Um, So those often, those audits tend to be um, sort of predetermined or prescribed to you in terms of what you're looking for. Um, It often uh, relies on some sort of corrective action plan to address any um, deficiencies. So you can tell even by the words that I'm using to describe QA, They tend to have a negative connotation, deficiency, corrective action plan, punitive. Um, And, you know, I would also say that, unfortunately, QA um, relies on one person. And I make that distinction because QI is not that. It is not one person. It shouldn't be the responsibility of one person. Rather, I think one of the benefits of quality improvement is that it is, in fact, a collective team-based approach that you really can't make sustained, meaningful improvements unless you have all of the right stakeholders and team members on board and bought into the quality improvement process. So um, I would say those types of um, definitions might help to better understand QA versus QI mentality or Processes.
0: So as I hear you talking about quality assurance, another word comes to mind and that's compliance. Mm-hmm. How do you see the concept of compliance fitting in between QA and QI in this whole sort of quality universe?
1: Yep. So I would say QI typically falls under the corporate compliance officer type role. Um, it's a formal, again, a formal process that's kind of predetermined for you. So when you think of compliance, you often um, think about contract compliance. So when you think about contracts, those are deliverables that are set for agencies or program managers to accomplish. Um, so that in and of itself is compliance driven. You are, you, you must be in compliance with your contract, which outlines the specific deliverables you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, when I think about, you know, compliance, maybe like a chart audit, or right? Like, do you have a patient consent? That doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of care, but it's a, um, a quality uh, compliance item that
1: yeah, must yeah. Be so those there, are right? yep, those are processes or checklists. That are either a mandated or set forth for you that you have to comply with, that you have to follow. Those are all sort of those QA type um, practices that are typically associated with a, a compliance type structure or formula. Yeah.
0: So, a lot of our listeners are, you know, quality driven and and data focused individuals. So, what's a good way in terms of the measurements? to sort of say, what does a QI measurement look like versus a QA measurement? Because I think that's a really great way to understand the differences.
1: Absolutely. And I think um, when I explain it to our partners or our stakeholders or people that we are working with as part of a team, um, those QA measures are often process measures. So you just think of typical counts. So accounts of referrals, um, counts of face-to-face, um, counts of billing errors, um, and so those to me are more process type metrics, versus quality improvement type metrics are more outcome based. So you're interested you're interested in your your agency's mission in tracking those types of more meaningful substantive outcomes, rather than just mere process counts. So when you think of um, Outcomes, you're thinking about improvement in overall functioning. Um, you're thinking about um, satisfaction-type outcomes. Um, you know, another, another item would be if you're a housing program, the main goal of that housing program is to achieve some sort of permanent or stable housing. That's an outcome. That isn't just nearly a process count. Another type of meaningful outcome measure would be, you know, did the customer, your client report um, improvement in their services or in the way they were delivered or um, improved uh, functioning? So I think when you think about outcomes, you're really taking a deeper dive on what is it you're actually trying to achieve by this, implementing this program rather than just near process counts that probably most likely are prescribed for you in some sort of QA compliance-driven contract?
0: So I think that brings me to evidence-based practices, right? When we talk about um, prescriptive methodologies, if you deliver these service activities in this way, on this cadence, you should expect to see positive outcome results. So how can you tie evidence-based practice models, how can you weave that within the QA to QI sort of infrastructure?
1: Right, so your evidence-based practices or models, um, they're evidence-based because they know um, there's data that says you actually achieve meaningful outcomes. So oftentimes if you're implementing an evidence-based practice, they will, good news, identify outcome measures for you because they've done this thinking and the thoughtfulness of what it is they're really trying to achieve. And so when you're thinking about evidence-based practices and monitoring whether or not um, you're achieving those outcomes, they they most likely will, will tell you what those outcomes should be. Now, certainly there are some process or pra- practice metrics that you have to follow to get to that outcome. And those would be t- more QA, um, QA driven. Um, And so that sort of speaks to how sometimes you can't do QI unless you have that QA foundation in place. But good news is, is that if you are implementing evidence-based practice model, um, that is of support to you because they have already sort of gone through that process of identifying what are those meaningful outcomes that this service is trying to achieve.
0: So if you're gonna implement one of these models, the QA part is how well are you following the model? Mm -hmm. And if you are adhering to the model and your QA tracking tells you that you are, then you should expect to see the outcomes from the model, which are that people are better off.
1: Yeah, and so that speaks to that continuum that QA and QI sometimes work hand in hand.
0: Great. So, What are some of the activities from sort of a staffing standpoint? So now let's get into the organization a little bit. If I'm uh, managing, let's just call it a quality department, and I've got people were uh, focused on assurance and compliance, and I've got people thinking more um, about overall improvement and outcome. What are people doing that's different?
1: Yeah. So, if you have a overall QI QA department, your QA people are most likely doing um, more of that audit audit function. They're most likely drafting policies and procedures. Um, they're most likely, if needed, dri- um, developing quality. Oh, no, excuse me, tra- uh, developing um, corrective action plans. So those are all those activities we talked about early on and how to help you distinguish between QA and QI. Those activities are much more standardized. When you're thinking about quality improvement, quality improvement really gets to more of those meaningful, deep dive type exercises with a team. So those compliance or QA activities can often be done by one person. When you're thinking about quality improvement and the types of activities that resonate with that type of model or framework um, agencies, organizations should really think about whether or not they have the resources to fully support quality improvement activities. And what I mean by that is that you are willing to have a team support, um, team support and come together. You're willing to set aside time every week to have quality improvement meetings. Um, you're willing to have uh, structures in place which support more meaningful conversations and trying to get to the root cause. Um, so, you're not merely just drafting a corrective action statement, you're truly trying to understand the root cause and why it is we're not achieving these types of outcomes. So, you have the resources, you have the time, you have the team and willingness to do more meaningful activities, um, you know, rather than just sort of you know, creating a a checklist or drafting a collective action plan. While those are absolutely important and most likely could be one of your strategies or steps in a quality improvement action plan. um, I think the more meaningful activity associated with quality improvement is like I said, the time, the resources and the team to sort of collectively make a bigger impact and sustained impact.
0: So that brings me to kind of a a gut punch type question. Um, And it's great that you work for an, an independent agency and not a direct human service organization. So I can ask you this question on their behalf because so many agencies that think they're doing quality improvement are really just doing quality assurance. What is it that what are they missing and and what happens that there's kind of this illusion that a really well-oiled QA machine is the QI machine when we know, in fact, they're different?
1: Um, I think what is missing is, um, you know, I'm not trying to sound hokey or uh, – it's it's really that meaningful buy-in. Um, I think of agencies that had one compliance slash QI person. And when you ask them, what did you do with that work? Um, either A, I did it and I put it away and I put it on the shelf and then I moved on to the next project without any further meaningful discussion with a group of stakeholders or a group of directors or your board. It's sort of, yes, I did the project done and over with versus um, sort of this more meaningful involvement of quality improvement from your board, your executive director, your administrators, your directors, your supervisors, and your direct line staff. So it shouldn't just be the focus of one person, that quality improvement is really something that each level of your organization understands, buys into and participates in.
0: So that brings up for me, you know, the methodology that we use most often the PDSA or the plan do study act. How does that fit in, in, can you be doing PDSA on one side versus the other, or help us understand when folks say, yeah, we're doing PDSA. Well, Can you be doing it in a quality assurance only way or a QI only way, or how do folks doing PDSA know that they've got this bigger QI umbrella covered?
1: Right. So when you're thinking about PDSA plan, do, study, act, it really comes down to each one of those phases and being able to implement each one of those phases with a team, and so I talked about earlier the distinguishing factor or marker, I think, mm-hmm. what a QA um, person is versus a QI. QA is, they tend to be on their own, doing their own thing and, and, and crossing T's and dotting I's, which is necessary. You definitely need people like that. I, mean, I, I do QA all the time and I recognize the value of it um, and the importance of it. The shift to quality improvement is that Every step along the way in that PDSA model, you have engaged the right team to plan, to do, study, and act. Each one of those phases requires a collective effort from the right team members, and they all bought in, whether it's planning and figuring out what is the root cause, they're all doing activities around that. Um, When they're doing, they're all take onus on piloting new strategies, new change efforts. When they're studying, they're all looking at the data and looking um, and identifying where, in fact, a change has made a significant difference. And then when they decide to act, they all are sort of collaborating together. How are we going to act on this improvement area now that we know we've achieved the right results? How do we act on it and sustain it? So, PDSA really is most effective. That framework is most effective when you have buy in with a team to support each one of those phases.
0: I think that team component is a a good way to identify it, but I don't want to answer the next question for you. So, a lot of agencies, just because of size, resource constraints, money let's call it what it is have a Tend to have a role that is, and I see it all the time on job titles, um, QA slash QI director. A lot of times, whether it's uh, grouped together for an individual or grouped together as a department, it does get grouped together. So, in those teams and those leaders, um, what strategies do you recommend for them to be able to, you know, appropriately um, separate, but not? so that they can't see each other, but understand when we're doing one and when we're doing the other?
1: Um, Yeah. So I think if you're working within a department that has two, and if I'm understanding the question, that has two roles um, within one department, um, distinguishing when there's a time and need for quality assurance and when understanding when quality improvement, um, when it gets to the next level of quality improvement So I guess what I'm trying to say is I understand that resources are limited, that time is limited, and quality assurance tends to be easier to administer. Um, But I would have to challenge those organizations that if you really want to sustain lasting, meaningful impact on the entire population as a whole, Then it is worth your investment and time in a quality improvement framework and giving staff um, permission to be involved in quality improvement teams Um, and understanding that yes your direct role your direct um, responsibility is to administer this this type of program but in doing so we also value and understand and appreciate your time working on a quality improvement team under our QI department or QA department. Um, so I don't know if that entirely answers the question. Yeah, I think. But at the same time, I say I would say I, there is a responsibility on administration, um, on leaders to really embrace quality improvement um, and invest in it if the, if that's what they really want to see.
0: Put. Forward. I think it's interesting that you say. That it's easier to administer. And I think some of the individual nature of it that you mentioned is a lot of what makes it easier. Um, You can assign a task to a a person and they can go do it. Um, It's a lot harder to do things with teams, right? Just scheduling, you know, logistically, it takes longer. You know, more logistics involves getting people together um, and driving those projects forward. So when resources um, are constrained, A lot of folks tend to lean on the QA that they have to do and call it a whole box checked when really it's only half of the box. Um, What are your thoughts on the program role in, in QI? So a lot of our health and human service agencies have centralized QA and QI staff who work on behalf of. Uh, or for, or with, or, you know, however you want to describe it, with multiple service delivery programs. What are your thoughts on the relationship between, you know, quality staff and program staff and, and how they can work effectively together?
1: Well, it's critical and necessary. There's no way your quality improvement team is going to achieve meaningful outcomes on behalf of a program unless you have the program supervisor and more importantly, direct line staff involved in that team. So when I talked about earlier creating buy-in from the top up all the way to your direct line staff, um, and if you want to achieve meaningful substantive quality improvement outcomes, um, you do really you really have to have investment and buy-in from the programs you're working with. So the QI person isn't driving um the the, the strategies or the quality improvement action plan. Rather, they're facilitating that. PDSA model and that corresponding action plan um, with the program experts. They are the people who have probably the most relevant change strategies or change ideas. They should know their program model and policies and procedures around that model like the back of their hand. And therefore, they can really meaningfully offer change strategies based on their experience and involvement with the program.
0: Yeah, it becomes about facilitation. Like W. Edwards Deming used to say, look to the process owners because a quality improvement staff person can't actually do any improvement. You can only work with those that deliver services, you know, to to project out how you can deliver that better.
1: Right. And hence, that's why when you think of QA versus QI, the distinguishing factor is the team.
0: Yeah, that's a great insight. So um, to... To sort of go along with that one final thought, if if you had uh, a, a quality program director in front of you today that said, Krista, I've got QA nailed and I just can't seem to turn the corner um, to get that true outcomes, quality improvement program up and running. What's one thing I could do tomorrow that would make the biggest impact for, for me and my organization? Yes. What would it yeah, be?
1: So, uh... Actually, I actually have two things. <laughs> I would say one thing is if they um, they already have their QA most likely process metrics. So I would say choose a low hanging fruit process metric and begin to apply QI a QI framework around it. What I mean by that is I'm sure there is a QI process metric that could improve or increase or decrease depending on what it what way it needs to get better. Pick that one. Form a team. And begin to um, strategize just some simple str- um, change strategies and how to improve that metric. You got to start momentum so people feel motivated and excited. Um, and, it, and it is, it's a QI is a planful, thoughtful um, experience. So you're not looking for quick, get it done, check it off, check it off. You really want to invest the time and resources and thinking about what is it that we're trying to do and making sure I have the right team to support me. So that was the first one. You know, pick a, a, a metric that you, that you feel comfortable with that you can get some buy-in from some team members and, and go for it. Start somewhere. Um, And the second thing I would say, too, and maybe you could do it hand in hand, is really start sort of sketching out what your quality improvement model would look like for your agency or for your department. So just sketching it out. Is it you need, um, is it a QI person who reports to a director? Is it a QI team who reports to a QI manager who reports to a director? So starting to formalize what your QI department process would look like and sketching it out might be another way to start getting into the momentum of applying quality improvement.
0: Excellent. Uh, Wonderful recommendations. Um, Krista, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, This has been another episode of the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast.
1: Okay, thank you.